Good afternoon, Rabbi We're going to be reviewing this coming, this past semester of fall 2019 uh, contemporary halacha. We're going to begin with reviewing the Shir Rev, Rabbi Neuberger, the halachas of fasting on Yom Kippur. So first of all, the Mishra points out that a Rav has to have Hilchas Chol on Yom Kippur at his fingertips, and of course the Yushalmi points out that if a person in a community asks the Rav Ashaila that relates to Pikach Nefesh, it's the Rav's fault because he didn't properly educate the uh, community about a suffix Pikach Nefesh uh, is, is to be acted upon immediately. Let's talk about the rules for uh, eating, drinking, specifically dehydration. Dehydration of any human being is a potential Pikach Nefesh, whether you're pregnant or not pregnant, whether you're elderly or young. We're going to now talk, though, about a uh, healthy Mubaras. A healthy Mubaras, presumably, the, show, the Mishnah says, and the Shulchan Aruch Paskins so, that a Mubaras has to fast in Yom Kippur. It happens to be that any doctor who is not very from will probably tell their, uh, their patients, oh, fasting is dangerous, don't fast, and that's why you might get calls on Erev Yom Kippur or hopefully a week before Yom Kippur, as you should tell your Baal to check with you. Um, oh, my doctor said I can't fast. And you'll ask, do you have any elevated risk factors? No. Do you have anything wrong? No. Do you have any history of anything? No. So why do they she say you can't fast? She said, oh, it's just not good to, for pregnant women to fast. So you say, thank you very much. Um, if there's any issues, then I'm happy to talk to your doctor. But at Laki, barring any issues, we follow the Mishnah and the Shulchan Aruch that says that we fast, that a pregnant woman fasts in Yom Kippur. Of course, it's important to realize that if there is danger to either mother or fetus, fetus is a machlokas yushonah, but we do paskin, depends on how you say l'hakavu we do paskin that saving the life of a fetus does warrant chil Shabbos daraisa, and of course eating on Yom Kippur. Um, that is how we paskin, and we paskin that is true even before 40 days after conception. Now, it is important to realize before we go into this discussion that when the Gemara talks about hakal hakal trila, that you have to give a violate as little violation as possible, so we always will try to do shiurim, uh, give little amounts of liquids or solids as opposed to larger amounts of zochi of kares. Keep in mind that even shiurim are asr mida araisa. There are many from doctors who have been practicing in the from community for decades who think that eating pachas mikashir is only asr darabanan, and that is wrong. Eating pachas mikashir is asr daraisa, and you're only allowed to eat pachas mikashir on Yom Kippur if you are a cholesh, a yeshbo sakana, if it's dangerous enough that you have to drive to the hospital, call Hatzal on Shabbos, then you can have pachas mikashir. It's not just like, oh, I'm really thirsty, I'm really tired, I'll just have a little sip, chas that's an isra although karis, of course, would only be limited to somebody who has, of course, the shir. So, let's begin with a fascinating psak, uh, psak mechudosh, of Dain Yaakov Yisrael Fisher, and Yerushalayim, he used to have the sin of badats, and when he would be sitting, he'd have a long line outside his, outside his badats because all the women wanted to get his psak. Because he held that nowadays, fasting for Yom, on Yom Kippur for Mubaras is dangerous because our Mubaros are weaker, we have a weaker constitution, and he claims that many Mubaros have had hapalos, have had miscarriages, so therefore all pregnant women, until the ninth month, should eat pachas mikashi on Yom Kippur. So the postgim have rejected this leniency strongly in three primary ways. Number one, that Diane Fisher's data is presumably questionable or even incorrect. Because he says, we're not as strong as we used to be. So I don't know if that's true. We probably eat much more healthfully. We have probably much better nutrition than previous generations. Number two, you say that uh, many women have had uh, problems with pregnancy. Well, first of all, there are 
there is data from a number of uh, experiments that they found that women typically, there's a, no significant statistical change of danger of, uh, of a baby of being born because of a mother fasting, uh, prim- pretty much practically uh, minimal sign- uh, statistical significance. And third of all, and, and secondly in this point about the data, the, uh, you might have included in that statement that many women have had hapalos, that might have included people who taka shouldn't have fast. If you indeed have a high risk situation that shouldn't have fasted, so of course they shouldn't fast. But we're talking about a regular healthy woman. Don't apply statistics that might have included people who should never have fasted in the first place to a regular woman. Finally, thirdly, um, when you deal with a suffix pikuach nefesh, it doesn't just mean that if it's one, you know, one in ten, you're from Mechal Shabbos. But one in a million, one in a billion, that doesn't reach the threshold of what constitutes suffix pikuach nefesh. So even if you say that there are a number of women who have had hapolos, miscarriages, because of fasting, that doesn't mean there's still hundreds of thousands of women throughout generations of Jewish women, or millions of Jewish women, who have fasted on Yom Kippur, and therefore... Even if we say, says the Maram Shik, that there is a sex sake, of course, does warrant Kol Shabbos, but if it's the tiniest enough suffix, more, you know, one in a 10,000, one in a 50,000, that could cause, that might not reach the, reach the threshold of suffix Bikrach Nefesh. And finally, lastly, the Rishnerma points out that even if you, uh, I'm sorry, uh, even if you say, forget Rishnerma, even if you say that there is an Ishtanu Hatvayim, that happened here. Women's nature did indeed change over the course of the years. But what right do you have, Diane Fisher, to say that the nature has changed without a yeshiva's, ha, yeshiva's basin, the gedolim of the Chachmei Hadar? We have a din refurish, or the Mishnah din refurish of the Shulchan Aruch, to just say Nishtanashtivim is a little too far. And therefore, uh, the postgame are not willing to accept this kula of Diane Fisher. Now, let's talk about circumstances where a the lady calls you up, says, I'm pregnant, and you have to ask her questions that, given certain circumstances, you would tell her that maybe she should drink a little bit, so, of course, if it's a risk to either her or her baby, even before 40 days, she would drink. In general, it's important to know that the ichor here is hydration, not food. You could go for many days without eating, and you will live. You might lose a little weight, which could be good for a lot of people, but uh, the issue here is really the hydration. So, number one, if a woman encountered two undiagnosed miscarriages, or if there was even one miscarriage that might be linked to dehydration, so that would warrant breaking her fast. Number two, if she's at risk for a preterm delivery, that would also make her in a high risk factor. Maybe she should, you know, drink a little bit. Number three, if there's preterm labor pains, so if she has pains, then we're worried that maybe if it's before the time the baby should be coming out, if it's, again, if it's the ninth month, we'll talk about it later, but if there's preterm pains, then we're worried that this could cause danger. Um, sometimes you have a lady that, even when she's not pregnant, she's prone to dehydration. Kavachomer, now that she uh, is going to be pregnant, so you have to, you know, see if uh, one of the questions I always ask is, do you have a history of dehydration in general on fast days? Uh, as far as if a woman vomits while she's uh, during her pregnancy, which women do, if a woman vomits once or twice, I understand that there's no risk of dehydration, but once a woman vomits three times, she is at a risk of dehydration. Um, of course, if a woman on Yom Kippur is showing signs of dehydration right now, present, not, I'm worried there will be dehydration, but there's present signs of dehydration, so then we have, uh, what are the signs of dehydration? The main sign, of course, is the urine is of amber color. 
accompanied with, you know, obviously, dehydration is not yes or no. It starts gradually, and it gets progressively worse and worse and worse. And obviously, if, you know, it's at 5 p.m., right around Ni'ila's beginning, she says, oh my gosh, my urine is amber. So you say, okay, hang out, you know, hang in there for another hour and a quarter, and you'll, you'll drink, you'll, you'll make up, and you'll be fine. Uh, but we're talking about something that's, you know, earlier in the day, and uh, there's some of the signs of, some of the early signs of dehydration are um, a very bad headache, an unusual headache, like a dehydration headache. We all, everyone gets little headaches when we're fasting, but heart palpitations, faintness or dizziness, even when you're sitting, like if a woman is faint or dizzy, when she stands up, so don't stand up, let her lie down. If there's a shift in fetal movement, you don't feel any, uh, you know, the baby hasn't kicked in a, in a long time. So in such cases, of course, we would say there's a chashash that we would encourage her to, uh, to drink. Um, it's important to know the chasm sofer who says that it's more important to stay in bed and not go to shul and miss Tefillah B'Tzibur and miss um, and miss Kriyos HaTorah and miss everything B'Tzibur and the whole emotional excitement of, of uh, Yom Kippur Davening than to go to shul and says Rishul Zalman even if one Pachos Mikashir could be averted could be avoided by her staying in bed the entire Yom Kippur that is preferable and this is a conversation I have every year and I, I'll tell the story that I've told before I had a lady who I was speaking to, she wasn't pregnant, but some other issue, and I said, okay, so basically, this Yom Kippur, you're going to go to sleep, right after Sudam HaSekes, and you're going to stay in bed for the next 25 hours. And you're not going to daven, you're not going to go to shul, you're not going to do anything, you're just going to stay in bed, in an air-conditioned room, and you're going to fast. And she said, Rabbi Orlean, what you're telling me is against everything that I ever learned in my entire day school career. I said, I guess they didn't cover the chas himself in your, in your day school. Uh, yeah, fasting on Yom Kippur is important. So uh, even if it's without the emotions and the vidris and the singing and the na 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 without the singing, still Yom Kippur is fasting. Um, another situation where a woman would have to uh, break her fast if she has early bleeding. Uh, again, if there's anything you could talk to a doctor a few days before Yom Kippur, that makes life much easier. So as, when you become rabbanim. You should make it a policy that you should send out an email or a message to Shul and may announce in Shul three weeks before. If anybody has shyness about fasting, please contact me because it's going to take them a week to realize and get back to you. Then it's going to wait, take you a few days to reach there to talk to them about it. Then you have to talk to the doctor about it. Then you have to talk to them about it. Then they're going to ask a question. You have to go back and forth sometimes with the doctor and with them. So that takes time. You don't want all those conversations. Erev Yom Kippur. Um, finally, if a woman is having uh, pain during the ninth month, so, hey, ninth month, she's having labor pains, great, let her have a baby. So here we have a question, should, if a woman is having labor pains in the ninth month, should she eat or should she not eat? On one hand, let her have the baby. That's what Diane Fisher says. Even though he says you could eat one through eight, but in the ninth month, you're about to have the baby. You don't need to eat. Let her have the baby, because that's the eight. I'm not worried if the, if the lack of eating, the fasting will, will generate a labor. She's ready to give a, have labor, but if Nevin Sal says even if she's in the ninth month, she still needs to have strength to push the baby out, have strength to give birth. And, you know, practically, you could sort of evaluate at which point in the day. If a woman, you know, is, uh, has labor pains, you know, an hour after cold nidri, so she just stuffed her face two hours ago, so she doesn't need any food. She has plenty of food. If she has labor pains or contractions, you know, 5 p.m., 
in, you know, after Mincha on Yom Kippur Day, you know, right during Mafti Yonah, she's having contractions, so then she might talk and need some, uh, some nourishment and some hydration to give her the strength to push the baby out. Now, as far as Shiurim, so the Chasim Sofer says that nine minutes will certainly be uh, safe. The Postcom will point out that that's, you know, the safest bet, but if necessary, then one can uh, be makel even to have the shear in six minutes, and five minutes, and four minutes, and three minutes perhaps. What is the shear? So food and machal and food and drink are totally separated, and just because you have food, that means, it doesn't mean, you know, they're two separate areas. Um, so when it comes to food, it's a uh, grogeras, which is, again, food is less the issue, so I'm not going to talk about it so much now, but more liquids. Liquid is a malolugmav. Um, How much is a malolugmav? Well, everybody's malolugmav is different. Mr. Bruce says the ideal way, says like it's a rovervius, rovervius is 3.3 ounces, so rovervius would be 1.7 ounces, but the Mishabura suggests that the ideal way is to test it before Yom Kippur. How do you do that? Says Mishabura, you take, you tell the person to fill both cheeks, both cheeks filled with liquid, and spit that entire quantity into a cup. 50% of that would be one cheekful, which is Malolugmav, that's the shear of Malolugmav. So the reason why it's Kedai to check is because if you tell a lady, uh, yeah, you could do 1.7 ounces, or one shot glass, which is what we usually tell people, just take a shot glass and you'll be safe. It could be that she would do a check before Yom Kippur, depending on the size and the flexibility of her cheeks, she might be able to get twice as much in her Pachas Mikashir. So if she actually does this measurement before Yom Kippur, sometimes the shots come up on Yom Kippur, it's too late, but it is in your best interest to measure before Yom Kippur. Okay, if a person has a choice to either start fasting, but if they're going to break their fast, they're going to have to eat full shiurim, or the other option would be to just not have to have a shir at all, but have pachas mikshir as Yom Kippur goes, so this is a discussion, but Rabbi Neuberger suggests that, um, he quotes Rishlom Zalman, he pays a franc for Vosner, that even if there's an outside chance that she'll make it to the fasting, she should try to fast, if it happens that she needs to break her fast, okay, she'll do whatever she needs at that point. But if you know mitchil, that she's definitely going to need to drink over the course of this day, then indeed it's better to start with Pachas Mikashir. Yes, it's the Hachmi. We're checking beforehand it is going to be to completely relative to the individual, but it's never really going to be less than, than uh, that, that amount. Okay, so let's talk about, we finished a pregnant woman, let's talk about a nursing woman. The nursing women, the goal is to not make the woman lose her liquids because she's giving it to her baby through her milk. But if you advise her or you teach in shul a few weeks before that the nursing women should save up their milk, they should pump and save up their milk, in, uh, just like women who go to work do, in the freezer where, where milk freezes wonderfully, then you, and you train your baby to take a bottle, so then you could alleviate the need for a woman to be worried about the baby not getting nourishment. Uh, ladies don't always like to do that, um, but that's what you should teach ahead of time so they have the time to make a little bit of a storehouse. Let's say, so, and, and if a baby taka gets aggravated on, on uh, Yom Kippur, so give from the form, give, give this frozen milk. If there's no frozen, if there's no milk uh, that you saved up from beforehand, so give formula. Oh, you want your baby to have just regular milk? Breast milk? Okay, I'm sorry. Um, obviously, that's not how you tell it to the uh, woman at hand. 
However, let's say there's a situation where the baby just doesn't take formula, doesn't take a bottle, and the mother is dry because she hasn't drunk in, you know, 14 hours, and the baby is, you know, crying, and it's not just like you have 45 minutes till the end of the fast, you have another five hours. So then, then, and just about only then, um, would we allow a mother to drink if there's no other, if the taka is no other option. But again, most situations, especially when caught ahead of time, you could mitigate the need for this to happen. It's important to know that a lot of people don't know that if somebody needs to take a pill on Yom Kippur, that's not considered breaking their fast. So even if a person has just regular headache, you know, they could, you know, pop a Tylenol, make sure that you don't use Advil, because Advil is sucralose-coated, and therefore it's akshave to be considered like a Michael because of the sugar coating, but if you have a generic brand Advil, or you have uh, aspirin or Tylenol, you could swallow that without any water, that's fine. If a person does need water to take a pill, so then the post can say that we're asked on Tishabav, you could just take it with a little bit of water, the water is not considered breaking the fast, it's just to help you take the pill. When it comes to Yom Kippur, we're more machmir, and we say you have to foul the water. The typical way that I suggest to foul the water is you take a, not a, not a shot glass with detergent, but a, a uh, big pitcher, and you fill it with water, and put a drip, a little bit of detergent in it, so that all the water has a little uh, foul flavor, and then take one, you know, whatever shot glass you use from that water to help the pill go down, but the water has to be fouled a little bit on Yom Kippur. I had a lady uh, two years ago who said, Rabbi, I did everything you told me. I put the, uh, she, had, she had to take pills on Yom Kippur, and I put the detergent, and I wanted to make sure the detergent was well distributed, well dispersed through the water, so I shook it, and the whole, the foam of the soap all uh, rose to the top, and it was the foam that made me dis- that, that made me want to throw up. It wasn't the problem drinking the water, it was the foam because I shook it. So tell them not to shake the water um, after they put the detergent in. That's the end of the first year. Let's now move to the next year to Rabbi Neuberger, who's going to talk about Hilchas Yom Kippur. Okay, we were just Yossi Arevach this morning, Pimparash Lepash, Vaita. Okay, so in Hilchas Yom Tif, we're going to start talking about gas stoves. The first thing we have to realize is that when it comes to Lighting a fire, even though lighting a fire on Shabbos is Asr Midar Raisa, lighting a fire on Yontif is only Asr Midar Abana. So once it's only Asr Midar Abana, there's going to be a little bit more leniency as far as uh, when you're going to be able to ignite a fire in certain circumstances. Why is it to light a fire? That's Machlokas Rishonim, which we're not going to go into right now. Now, if you have the old stoves in the heights, which I think there are fewer and fewer of, so they have a pilot light. If you have a pilot light, so that means the flame is always there. You're just adding gas, which extends the flame to go more places and reach out further. That's just being mamshet, the flame, not being moly, the flame. And that is motelachatchila, to raise. So if you have a pilot light oven, you have one of those old Washington Heights ovens, those are ideal for yantif. You can just literally turn on the gas because the flame is already there. You're just being mamshech, the and being magdil, the, uh, the eish, that is permitted lachatchila. The problem is that many states... Um, prohibit pilot lights, and they have an electric ignition, which is what most of the, all the newer ovens have. So electric ignition is going to be an issue, because here you're igniting a fire, you're making a spark that is going to be aser, of course, midrabonon, anyantif. So therefore you're not going to be able to turn on a flame anyantif. And even if you have one of those coil 
of those coil uh, stove tops, if you change, let's say it's on, so theoretically you say, oh, I could raise a fire, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that you could raise the setting on the coils, because the coils, let's say there's a 100, there's 200 degrees, there's 250 degrees, 300 degrees setting, it could be that each of the different settings on your coil, low, medium, and high, is not just adding more electricity or whatever it is to make it hotter, it might actually be using a new circuit. There's the 200 degree circuit, and then if you want to switch to medium, it goes, it turns it to 275. It's a different circuit. And the high, the 350, the 400 is a different circuit. So that could be, uh, so therefore, you, once you're dealing with a, uh, once you're not, once you're out of the realm of a pilot light, you're in trouble. So what happens when it comes to lowering the flame? So lowering the flame is going to be equally usher as uh, turning off a flame. The only time that you are allowed to lower a flame is the time that you're allowed to raise a flame. And that is in order to enable you to cook. So let's say you have a soup that if you leave it on the flame, it's going to burn. So you want, what, would, what do you do? You say, say, hey, let me just lower the flame because I'm lowering the flame for the cooking, right? Well, if you're worried that it's going to burn, just take it off the fire. Oh, if there's a very specific situation, which is far, few and far between, that you have to leave it on the fire... But if you leave it on the fire at this, at this flame height, it's going to burn. That's the only time that you're really allowed to lower the flame. Again, otherwise, take it off the fire. But it, if it has to be on the fire and it can't be high, so that's the only time you would be allowed to lower the flame on Shabbos. But even there, Shlomo Zalman says it's only if it's really going to burn or, or get really dried out. If it's just going to be a little, you know, a little not as, not as uh, juicy, that's not sufficient to warrant lowering the flame. So typically, you're not going to have too many situations where you're going to be able to lower the flame on Shabbos, unless really it's really going to burn, and you don't have the option of removing it from the flame. I'm talking about Yantif now. Shabbos, you can't touch anything to do with fire. Oh, uh, thank you. Oh, very. This, everything I just said is talking about Yantif. Thank you. This would be for lowering the flame even on the electric? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Now, let's talk about Shabbos mode. So Shabbos mode uh, that the Star K arranged with uh, many manufacturers, including General Electric and others, has three features. Two are great, one is less great. Number one is that there's no 12-hour, even though legally many states have a 12-hour cutoff, if you have a Shabbos mode, it turns off the 12-hour cutoff, and if you have a two-day yantif, then 12-hour cutoff is really bad, because you're not going to be able to have hot food past the first meal. So number two is that it turns off any fans that might turn on, or lights that might turn on if you open up the door of your oven, so that's also great. However, Rav Hyman also engineered a possibility of, after he engineered that the screen turns off, the digital display turns off, Rav Hyman suggested in this Shabbos mode that you could adjust, you could press the buttons on Yontif, again, it's a, it's a faulty nomenclature, it's not really Shabbos mode, it's really Yontif mode, that you could press the buttons on the digital display, again, there's no, the display is, is, is gone, the lights are not seen, but the, pressing the buttons to raise or lower the temperature. So if it, let's say, you know you set your oven to uh, 300 when Yantif began, you press it five times up 10 degrees each time you press it, it's now going to be 350, which is what you want. So Reb Heinemann suggested that if he engineered that when you press that button, there's a lag, you didn't really change anything, you put a situation in the brain of the, in the computer of the, in the brain of the oven, that when it cycles around and it says, oh, I see that now I'm supposed to be 10 degrees higher. So after it finishes the cycling through, it realizes, oh, I'm supposed to go higher, then it will go higher. So there's a time delay 
and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a cycling through, it finds something is different now, I have to readjust myself, that's what the computer's thinking, so Rav Heinemann says that that would be okay to make the adjustments to the temperature uh, up and down on Yantar. So most posts can reject that, and let me, I'm sorry, let me finish with Rav Heinemann's reason. Rav Heinemann says that by you having this time delay, that's grama. You're only changing the, turn, you know, changing the, uh, the fire through grama, and grama on turning on a flame, which is an isodrabanon on Yantif. So it's grama on an isodrabanon, and it's litzarach mitzvah, so that you could have your yachat food that you want to have for your Yantif meal. So it's a grama on an isodrabanon, litzarach mitzvah, and therefore that's what Heinemann wanted to have. The postkim all rejected the isodrabanon of when you set, adjust the setting of a, a higher setting of an oven you're making the flame go on. The way f- ovens work is it's not just a big flame and a little flame. The way, flame. the way ovens work is that there's a flame. And when it reaches the temperature, the flame turns off. There's a big flame in the oven. It's not like a little flame, big flame, high, very big flame. There's a flame in the oven the same size. When you have a low flame, a low temperature, so the flame will be on just for three minutes, and that will stay there for a little while. If you have a higher temperature, it will turn that flame on so that it could be ignite uh, longer. So that's what happens when you raise the temperature in your oven. So all the posts can reject this leniency of Rav Heinemann by saying that this is not what Grama means. Grama does not mean a time lag. Grama means that there's a koach acher me'urav bo. I do X and something else. For example, I... Uh, Grama is that I put a, you know, a beach chair on the roof, near the edge of the roof, and a wind came and blew the beach chair off the roof and it killed somebody. That's Grama. I harnessed some other power like the wind that wasn't here, that wasn't built into the situation. If I have a pre-built, pre-engineered unit called this uh, Shabbos mode oven that is set to do exactly what I want it to do with a, with a little bit of a time lag, that does not constitute, say, the other postgib, a grama. And therefore, since there's no koch achram urubo, it has to, grama has to be, you, you do this and you're waiting for some other thing to happen, some other, you know, wind to blow, that will uh, constitute grama. And therefore, they don't consider this grama, and therefore the post can reject this third aspect of the Shabbos mode kitchen, the Shabbos mode oven that Rav Heinemann suggested. Let's talk about let's talk about that right now. What about just opening the door of, the, uh, of an oven? So in terms of Shabbos, let's say like this. So in terms of Shabbos, Rabbi Neuberger is concerned that if you open the door, let's say you have an oven, what I do in my house Friday night is right before Shabbos, I turn the oven on a little bit high with all the food inside, get the oven hot, and I turn it off right before Shabbos, and there's no flame on. And I leave the food inside. The oven is well insulated. The food will be warm and up piping hot. The food will be relatively hot if it was heated up Friday afternoon and you turn it off right before candle lighting. It will stay hot an hour later when you come home from shul. Now, Rabbi Neuberger says, if you would leave the flame on in your oven, so let's say your oven is set for 300. So if you would leave the flame on at 300, the way it works is that it cycles on and off. Let's say the oven would right now be not, not burning. There would not be a fire right now because it's already at the temperature, that, the, the desired temperature of 300. When you open your door, what's going to happen on Shabbos? You're causing cold air to go in, and the cold air that's going to go in is going to generate the fire to the temperature. The, the, uh, the thermometer will realize that it's colder, and it will make the flame go back on. And that would be grama, because here you're harnessing the outside the outside, uh, the air, cold air coming in, that would be grama. But it's grama on an Isra Daraisa. That's, uh, that's on Shabbos. However, what would be on Yantif? 
On Yantif, when you open the door, let's say again, the flame is on, set for 300, and you open the door, what's going to happen? Cold air rushes in, and the flame is ignited on Yantif. But wait a second. We said that igniting a flame on Yantif is only in the Rabbana, not like Shabbos. So it's genuine grama, because here you do have the cold air coming in that's doing the gram. So you have a grama of an Yisra Rabbanan, and you're doing the Tzorach Yantif. So therefore, it will be mutalachatchilo to open the oven on Yantif, to leave an oven lit before Yantif. And yes, to open up the lit, the ignited oven, the pre-ignited oven on Yantif, because even if it will, you know, turn the flame back on, that would be okay, because it's gram, Yisra Rabbanan, the Tzorach Ochol Nefesh. However, when it comes to Shabbos, let's go back to Shabbos for a minute, you should just know that Rabbi Willig doesn't agree with Rabbi Neuberger. Rabbi Willig is of the opinion that when you, if you have the flame on in your oven and you open the oven, it's not going to directly cause the oven to f- switch on right away. In the same way, says Rabbi Willig, when you open your door in the middle of the hot summer and you have AC on, or if you open your door in the middle of the winter and the wind, cold air gushes in and it's going to turn on your boiler, nobody's worried about that because it's so... It's not going to happen instantaneously enough. So therefore, we will hold you are allowed to open a, an oven on Shabbos, a lit oven on Shabbos. Rabbi Nubiger holds it's usher because he considers that that will be, um, that will be di- you know, directly causing the, the uh, flame to go on. It's sort of almost like a machlokas and metzias, but that's all regarding Shabbos. And this is true, you know, of warming drawers is a whole zip- separate issue. Uh, Rabbi Nubiger will as they're opening the door of a warming drawer equally. But on Yantif, you have, again, you have a, uh, what ends up being a Sikresha or a Grama on a Isidrabanan, so that will be okay. Yeah, you can open the door, yeah, but you disagree Correct. Because here you have real Kohach Ramurav, but you have the cold air coming in. On Shabbos, if you have one of those ovens that you can hear that it's on, and you can hear when it's on, and hear when it's not on. Yeah, if you have an oven that you could tell that the flame is on right now, then even Rabbi Willig would agree that you, then even Rabbi Nurig would agree you could open the oven. Yeah. Let's go to... That noise, the little hum... You have to know your oven. I don't want to... If, your oven, if you know that your oven is ignited, is the flame is on right now, so then even Rabbi Willig would agree that you could open up that oven. Even Rabbi Nurig would agree you could open up that oven. Uh, let's talk about a very common question, that is asking a guy to turn on an oven. So, of course, on Shabbos, you cannot ask a guy to turn on an oven because you're asking a guy to violate an Isidoraisa. No heter for that, typically. Um, however, if it's Yantif, so turning it on is only an Isidorabanan. Oh, so here you have a Mirlanach, which is a Shavuz, to turn it on, which is on Yantif, which is also only a Shavuz, with Tzorach Mitzvah to have a nice hot meal. But wait a second, what's the Tzorach Mitzvah? If you really want to have a hot, nice hot meal, why don't you just leave your oven on the, from before Yantif? Oh, you want to save a few bucks? That's not called a Tzorach Mitzvah. If you do it to save gas, we're not going to give you the leniency of shvus to shvus makamitzah to to uh, ask the guy to turn an oven on for yantif for you. If, however, it's shavuos, it's ninety degrees outside, and with the oven on inside the kitchen, it's really hot. So, or or you have little kids, you don't want to leave an oven on for two days or three days with little kids around. Oh, then that's a, that kind of motivation is going to qualify as a tzarech mitzah. Then you would be permitted to ask a guy to leave your oven up beforehand, and you'll ask a guy on Yantav to please turn on your oven. That would be a shuas, a shuas, makamitza. But if your concern is just saving a few bucks, um, or saving the environment, that would not qualify as being sufficient with tzorach mitzvah. Let's now finish, we've now finished the uh, discussion about ovens. Let's now talk about Yantav Sheni in general. So the minug since the Gaonim, was to keep 
for B'nai Chutzlar to keep two days. As Rabbi Shechter likes to point out, this seems to be the Pesach of the Shulchan Aruch, because of Shulchan Aruch, when it speaks about um, following Minag Makam Shiatzim Isham Minag Makam Shanim Tzabo, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins that we follow Minag Makam Shiatzim Isham, and the Sugya of Yom Tesheni is indeed a Sugya of Minhag. So it's Minhag, and when it comes to Minhag, like the Gemara says, it's Rabbi Minhag Avasech Biyadechem. So when it comes to Minhag, we follow Minhag Malkam She Yatsam Isham, and therefore, if you go to Eretz Yisrael, you should keep two days. Now, of course, there was the Chacham Tzvi. The Chacham Tzvi had a Chiddush that he said that when do we say that you follow Minhag Malkam She Yatsam Isham? That's only, that's not going to apply if there are kulas. So, for example, says the Chacham Tzvi, I'm worried that if you go to Eretz Yisrael, you want to follow your Minhag keeping two days, but you're involved with making a bracha of Asher Kedoshav Zetavit Son Allah Chilas Matzah on the second day of Yantif, when it says there is no, you could call it, that maybe that's bracha Vatala. Or maybe you're doing Baltosif. So therefore, you're being Nizar, B'minag Malkar Shiyatza Mishan, that's only going to be if it's only to be Machim, but if it's going to end up bringing these kulas, that you're going to get yourself into hot water by following the Malkar Shiyatza Mishan, like a bracha Vatala and Baltosif, we wouldn't apply the din of Minag Malkar Shiyatza Mishan. No one really accepted the Chacham Tzvi in uh, Jewish history until like 40 years ago. Uh, even his son, Yaivitz, what does Yaivitz stand for? Yaakov, Emden, Ben. Tzvi, his father was the Chacham Tzvi. So even his son, the Yaivitz, disagreed with his father. Arbel Yosha said, you can't even be sorry for the Chacham Tzvi as a Sniffle Hakel. Others are, you know, at least would consider it a Sniffle Hakel. But um, obviously, it's unfortunate that Balabatim sometimes. Consider, as Rabbi Yenuberger points out, your position on Yantar Sheni a, 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 as a uh, barometer of how tzioni or open-minded you are, and to the extent that you don't accept uh, what the minute was in Klal Yisrael, that makes you not tzioni, and therefore, whatever. We won't go there now. But uh, as I heard myself say when I was listening to my tape shir from last year, you have to figure out when you become a Rav if you want to work for Hashem, if you want to work for your Balabatim. And that you know, uh, decision before you take your job and sign your first contract is an important uh, concept to consider. Who's your employer? Is it Hashem or is it your Balabatim? And that, will, that might inform many decisions that you make. The majority of the post do say that B'nei uh, should keep two days. Now, there is a Kula of Shlomo Zalman, and I actually had a uh, Balabas of mine ask me this, Shaila. And I told him the Kula of Shlomo Zaman that if you're a Ben Eretz Yisrael, you could be a Ben Eretz Yisrael, Liyamim Tovim. If you're there, all three Yom Tovim, not just Pesach and Sukkot, but Shavuot also. So you're not a Ben Eretz Yisrael, Ben Chutzot. You're Ben Eretz Yisrael, Liyamim Tovim. So I talked after he had that conversation with me. I was so impressed when I found out a few months later that he's going to Yom to Eretz Yisrael for Shavuot. Because that's really the, you know, that's, that shows that he's really doing it. Only later I found out, some of his sons said, oh yeah, my father went to Rav Asher Weiss, and Rav Asher Weiss told him that if you, I thought he was listening to me, I was so proud of it, but I realized, you know, he didn't want to take my word after I told that, so I have to ask Rav Asher Weiss, but Rav Asher Weiss told him the same thing. Um, so it worked out, you know, at least. Let's go to the next point. The next point, that was the Indian of Yom Tashem, let's now talk about showering. So there are a number of issues, what are the questions of showering on, on Yom Tif? So the questions could be that if you have, when you take out water from the shower head, cold water is coming through the pipes into your boiler and putting it into a pot of clearishon of boiling water, al ha'esh, 
That's called bishul. Well, I didn't do bishul. I just took water. I did a psikresha of causing the water to come in, the cold water to come into the boiler. So it's a psikresha bishul. There's separately in it. So that's a concern to Araisa. Separate and apart from that, there's a gzera derabbanu gzeras habalanim not to go to a merchatz because we're worried that they're dishonest balanim balanim meaning. Uh, now they use that word for mikvah lady, but Balanim are the, the bathhouse attendants, and we're worried that they, the Chacham, we're worried, don't go to a hot, don't ever take a hot shower, a hot bath on Yom Tif, even with water that was heated up prior, before Shabbos Yom Tif, because we're worried to, uh, that the dishonest bathhouse people might indeed be heating it up on Shabbos Yom Tif. So, Rabbi Neuberger suggests a way to find a kula, if it's a three-day Yom Tif, and Yom Tzitzayr, so if we put together a bunch of scenarios, we could come out lo- with a kula to allow a person who is mitztair to shower on the yantif sheni, which would be the rabbanan. And he puts together the following five tzirufim. Number one, if it's yantif sheni, is the rabbanan. Number two, maybe if a person is mamish bitzar, not just that they like shower, but then bitzar, if they don't shower, that could elevate the need to shower to be considered ochel nefesh. Number three, the Xeris Habalanim, there are some opinions who say that it's only in a bath, not a shower. Number four, there's a machlokis if Xeris Habalanim is limited only to hot water or even to warm water. Maybe warm water doesn't have a Xeris Habalanim. And number five, there's a machlokis whether or not Xeris Habalanim applies to Yontav or only to Shabbos. And therefore, if you put all these things together, you take a, not a bath but a shower, and a not in hot water but lukewarm water, and it's on Yontav, and it's Yontav Shani, and you mamish bitzar, that he'll grant you Rabbi Neuberger will say you could shower in that lukewarm shower on Yatur Sheni if you're mitzvah. That's the end of that sugya. Okay? Let's go to the next year. What are we being mad to the Mitzvah? No, I meaning it's not it's being your shower on the Mitzvah. You should cover the Yatur. No? It's hard to say that it's cover the to shower when Chazal said you're not allowed to shower in Um, it's like the person who says, I want to clean my shirt because it's covered Shabbos. No, it's still a Shabbos. You know? No, it's only, let's say it's only a uh, kibbutz drabana. You know, okay. Yeah. Well, let's go with fourth reason. Xeris um, Balonim might only apply to baths, but not showers. Xeris Balonim might only apply to hot water, not lukewarm water. Xeris Balonim might only apply on Shabbos, not Yom Tif. Plus Mitztair, plus Yom Tosheni, those are the five. Uh, let's now talk about... Hmm. You want to do Sukkah or Dalaminim? That was unanimous. Okay, let's talk about Dalaminim. So Rabbi Kunim is very sure about Dalaminim. So, uh, the first point that we have to realize is that a Esrog has to be an Esrog. And therefore it can't be a Murkov. What's the problem with a Murkov? So the Levush says that a Murkov is a Misababa Averi. You're not allowed to be Markiv Ilanos. That's, that's Kileha Ilan. And the, Magen, the Levush. The Magen Avram says, no, an Esrog has to be an Esrog. If it's Murkov, it's not an Esrog. Uh, there's this wild opinion of the, uh, I don't know how really, really kind of we found it. Saba Kadish Alifandri says any citrus fruit, even a lemon in his kosher, but I don't know how he found that. Um, okay, so we have a question of figuring out what is considered a Murkov or not. So the, the Ramah gives us some simonim to ensure that it's an estrog. It has to have blitos, bumps, and ukuts is shakua. The inside of that bottom thing is shakua. Is uh, <clears throat> shakua. Indented, thank you. 
the klipa is thick, the seas are vertical as opposed to horizontal. So that's the four simonim of the Ramah. And the badats, when it says that uh, this pardes is under the badats, that means that they took some, some lemons, some esrogan from this pardes, they cut it in half, and they looked and found these four simonim. They said, okay, it follows the meets the four simonim. Uh, so that's one of the situations when the badats is not a good hachshir. Uh, that's not the greatest, you know, that's not the greatest, uh, that's, you know, the lowest uh, standard of defining an Esther. The Chassam Sofer says, uh, it's not really good just to rely on Simonim, like the Badat says, but you should have a Masoras, or know the Paradise, and that would be, uh, you know, the more expensive ones. So, but that's a Srogan without anything additional, usually the cheapest. Uh, okay, let's talk about some of the Psulim of Dalin Minim. So, number one, the Mishnah Sukkah says, Nitla Pitmaso, is puzzle. The question is, what is the pitam? So we have another, we have nitla shashanta, that's kosher. So the shashanta, the ball, the pitam is, let's say, the stick that comes up. We'll talk about it more in depth in a moment. And the shashanta is that ball on top of the stick, right? The lollipop on top of the, you know, the candy on top of the stick. So if the ball on top falls off, that's kosher, according to Moses Rishonim. If the stick itself falls off, so then that's going to be a subject to Machlokas. Taz says that it has to be, so much has to fall off that there is left an indentation on the head of the Esther. There's an indentation because the whole thing came out. Even if part of the, uh, even if only part of the stick fall, fell off, and others say that it has to be the entire stick has to fall off, but there need not be an indentation in order to pass it. Rabosai, this happened to me, this past Sukkot, I bought a few Esther, one for me, one for my son, one for my other son, one for my other son, and one of my sons happened to not even be my katan, who happened to be my mitzvah boy. I, I was just focusing on looking at the, the, you know, the, the, the skin of the esrog, and I just totally ignored the fact that it was half of the stem was broken off. My son, my mitzvah boy, took it, and he said, ah, the first second he saw it, he said, like, I'm the rabbi, and he's the, you know, the 15-year-old mitzvah boy, he just started putting on film. And he says, Abba, the pitta fell off. I'm like... Don't worry, according to contemporary halacha, it's still kosher. <laughs> so he didn't really buy that. Um, but uh, Lamaisa, the seller, had already closed. By the time we got to him the next day, he had already closed shop. So I told my son you could use it, as we'll say right now. So the Mishnah Bruce says that even if the shashata, the top, uh, the top ball falls off, if it's muhudar, it's better to take, which was the case in my situation, uh, even if the shashata fa- falls off, it's better to take that than to take something less pretty that has the shoshanta. Ah, but if a piece of the stem falls off, then you have to avoid it, even if it would be mahudar. Um, but even if it would fall off so much so that l'chol hadeis is considered nitla pitmas, the entire thing fell off, there's mamash a hole and indentation on the head, still, it's only going to be possible on the first day when you need a l'kichatama, l'kachtem, l'chem b'yom but the psul of chaser, because the psul of chaser is only on the first day, but uh, not on the further days. Now, this, question, this issue of first day versus other days, we just mentioned the distinction by chaser. There's another psal that applies to Dalit Minim, and that's the psal of Hadar. Hadar, does that apply only on the first day or all seven days? That's a machlokas. So, Tosa says that Hadar is puzzle all seven days. And the Rambam, you can look, if you, you can look in your notes why Tosa says that, but the Rambam argues and says that psal, just like the psal of chaser only applies on the first day, so too the psal of of Hadar also applies on the first day. The Shulchan Aruch Takis make like the Rambam that the Psul of just like Chaser, so to Hadar also only applies on the first day. 
The problem is the Ramah is machmal like Tosas, that Hadar is possible all seven days. So based on this, we could have a case of uh, the foul. What is the what, what do we consider the case of Nitla Pitmaso? Nitla Pitmaso, some say it's a psil of Hadar, some say it's a psil of Chaser. So can you use an Esther that's Nitla Pitmaso on the latter days of, on the latter days of Sukkot? So the Mishra Bruce says, I have a sex faker. If it's Chaser, if the problem of the psil of Nitla Pitmaso is Chaser, Chaser is only a problem on the first day, not the second, next rest of the days. Oh, and if it's a problem of Hadar, well, there's even Shita Sarambam who's Mekel and says, even the Psal of Hadar only applies on the first year, not the rest of the seven days. So I have a sex seka. Maybe it's uh, chas, uh, the Psal itself is a Psal Chasa, which is only on the first day. And even if you hold that it's a Psal of Hadar, well, there's still somebody within the Sugi of Hadar who holds that Hadar applies only on the first day. And you have a, se- uh, a sex seka, so you can be Mekel on Nitla Pitmaso, even if the entire stem falls off for the second through seventh day of Sukkot. Any questions about that? Somebody's hand was up? No. Vaitu, next point. Let's talk about a shinimara, a discoloration on the body of the Astra. So, the Gemara tells us that a chazazis, some kind of discoloration, a blister, a pimple, mute kasher, rubo puzzle. However, if you have even a mute, even one little blister, one little discoloration blister, um, in numerous places, then it's not just a problem of, 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 of Nishtana Hamara, it's a considered menumer, it's considered spotted like a namer, which is a leopard, and that will be a psil of Hadar. Uh, the Rishonim say that's not only by blisters, it even applies to black and white dots, and the Rush says that this psil of, uh, there are lots of dots, if you find these two or three dots, it's going to be possible, not just that it just happened to be two or three dots, but if there are two or three dots, you would connect those dots, and that connect, make you that triangle, or that, that square of the number of dots, would cover the majority of the area, or the majority of the circumference uh, of the estrog, then it would be a problem. If you just had two or three dots right next to each other, very close by, one to another, in close proximity, that would not be a problem. Now, that's all on the body of the estrog. However, if you have a chazazis, a discoloration on the chotem, then even a tiny bit is possible. What's the chotem? So we have a machlokas. What the chotem is, a chotem uh, could be only the very base of the pit. Maybe it's just the base of the pitim. The Rashi says it's where the the actual line, the demarcation of the fat part of the esrog to where it starts to slope upward, that line itself is called the the Chotem and the, the Rush, when we follow, says that any part, which is the most Hamidic opinion, uh, is what I'm about to say now, is that any part of the upward slope of the Esrog is all called the Chotem. That whole area, if you're holding an Esrog and looking at it, you know, top down, bird's eye view, that whole area that you see, that upward slope, that's all called the Chotem, and therefore even a Mashu, a Chazaz is on that area, will be considered Apostle. That will be Chotem, I feel Mashu. Um, but Magad Abraham says it's only if it's taken noticeable by the eye. If you have a bletzel, a scab that was uh, from a thorn that grew over it, the maril says that it's not a maraes again. It's going to be a problem. Same parameters as chazaz as we just learned, but we don't pass it like that. We uh, basically go like the trimas hadash, and that it is considered a maraes and therefore it's going to be okay even if it's on the chotem. Um, fine. Let's talk about green esrogim. The gemara says that if it's yari kakarti, like leek, it's pasal. Why? So there's a machlokas why a yorokakati is possible. Maybe because it's a shinimara. Well, if it's a shinimara, then it depends on how much 
green there is. Magen Avraham says, no, it's nothing to do with Shinimara, how it looks, it's because it's not Nigmar HaPri. But, says the Magen Avraham, if the whole word is that it's not Nigmar HaPri, if you know that the Pri, right now it's green, but you know that it's, once it was taken off the tree, it's green now, but you know that it will be able to just yellow as it just ripens off the tree already, so it is Nigmar HaPri. Once you took it off the, you took it off the tree, when it was Nigmar HaPri, you would be able to use it even while it is still green. You don't have to actually wait for it to ripen, as long as you know that it will ultimately ripen. Meshavur um, says that even according to Magnavram, you should still wait for it to turn a little bit yellow. Um, nef- let's talk about a lulav now. Nechlaka Tiomes is puzzle. What's Nechlaka Tiomes? Fundamental Machlokas Rishonim. Uh, Rif and Ramam hold that every uh, leaf is called a Tiomes, and if the majority of the leaves in your lulav are split, that's puzzle. However, the rush like the Ashkenazim follows, say, no, we look at Tiomas only as the middle leaf only, and therefore, there's a big Chumrah, if that middle leaf is split, you have to be worried. Um, so Ashkenazim are much more machmir, they say, according to Svartim, you could have, you know, a third of the leaves of the tops of the, the tips are split, and it's still kasha, but according to the Ramah, we're machmir that as long as that middle one, if that middle one is split, you're already in trouble. How much split? So Rav say, if the rove of the leaf from the shedra, top of the shedra to the tippy top, that's going to be puzzle. But the Iran says that there are those who are machmir, even b'nechikah which is what all the b'nei Torah, you know, try and strive to get, that it should be even, uh, that even b'miyuto it's not nechlak. But uh, mamash even a mashu. But the grass says you don't have to worry, be, be worried about a mamash a mashu. Uh, but that's where, you know, that's where the expensive lulavim come in. You know, the twenty, forty, fifty, seventy dollars uh, lulavim, I mean, it's all because of getting that mashu on top. Um, kara is the brown stuff that uh, sometimes it's good because it keeps everything together. On the other hand, you don't know if it's split underneath, so it might not be as good. Kafuf. If you have a, the Shulchan Aruch says the kafuf is puzzle, but there's a machlokas if only the shadra is kafuf, or even if, if kafuf would apply even to the leaves. Um, the knepel is when the very, very top is bent. It's not, not the whole thing is bent over, but it's just a little knepel, just the very tippy top is bent, and that, the Rosh says, is okay. And he says something is even better that way because you know that the two tips of the tiomas are together when they're bent over together, but uh, the Ran is Machmir, he says, no, Knepel, uh, that little bend on top, is a puzzle, so it's better to, uh, so what's a Hidr for the Rosh is actually a Psal for the Ran. Let's jump to Hadassim now, and Hadassim should be Mishulashim. They should be, like the Pasuk says, Anafi Tzavos, Tzavos means Bredis, you have to have three or more, so there's a Machlokas of how Mishulash they have to be. So Rashi has a Chumrah and says that the three, at any given point, the three leaves on any given point on the level of the uh, Hadas has to be coming out of the same exact height of the, st- of the, of the stem. Tosis and the Rosh are making, and they say, no, as long as the, those three are smuch mudvukim, and if you draw, the Chazanish says, if you draw a line around the stem, and it would hit part of the base of each of those three leaves, even if the base the leaves are not coming out at the same exact point, that also is sufficient. We typically make it like this uh, latter opinion, and you don't need that the three come out of the same exact point on the stem.
Okay, let's go to the next year. The next year we'll do is... Either feminism or Hilcha Sukkah. Sukkah. Okay. So... Let's do feminism, if you don't mind. We'll do feminism. So, in feminism, uh, women's issues in feminism, Sir Rabbi Reese spoke about the uh, starting off with the sugya of Kalam Lamedes Bita Torah, Kilam Tiflis. So, the Prisha points out that that's referring to Rav Nashim, but if there's an individual woman who herself demonstrates a thirst for Torah and she's responsible in its learning, and she's not in the robe. She's punishment her robe, so such a woman you could. Uh, that's one point. Second point, as far as women's learning is, of course, halacha that applies to them. They do have to learn. So let's look at Shulchan Aruch. Yeridea? Yep, that applies to them. Ebenezer? Yep, much of that applies to them. Chosher uh, Mishpat? Yep, all of that applies to them. Uh, what did I skip? Archaim? Yep, that applies to them. So basically, Da'afel Ki Shulchan Aruch all applies to us. There's plenty for women to learn. Uh, even if they uh, feel like, oh, we don't have it, you know, let us learn. Well, they can learn basically the vast majority of Dalchal and Shulchan Aruch. Of course, we know that Rasul Vajic said that a woman nowadays in our generation, in order to appreciate the sophistication, I don't know if he uses these words, but the way we understand is that in order to appreciate the sophistication and Chashiva Satora, she has to see the sophistication in her Libu de Kodesh no less than, you know, her getting a PhD in astrophysics from MIT. Why should she think that Torah is, you know, kindergarten stuff and everything else in the world is complicated and sophisticated? So in our generation, Salvation felt uh, women should learn on the same way that men learn, the same level. Um, it's important to keep in mind as you go out into the world that other than Salvation, no one really among the Gedolim really uh, went with that extent. So when you go out in the world and you encounter other uh, Rabbanim, and they hear that you have a Gemara, should just be ready, that, that's open to women, just be ready to be aware that uh, it will be a Chiddush for other Rabbanim if, who learned in other yeshivas. It's just important to be aware of the, uh, a broader perspective of the, uh, the Messiah. We have our Messiah, but other Rabbanim have other Messiahs from their yeshivas. Um, In general, when we talk about, let's talk about leadership roles for women. In general, there are a number of areas that you have to be concerned with. First of all, there's a sugya of Asrara, which we'll talk about in a moment. There's the questions of Tzniyas, which is not just a Musr machshava, but it's actually Paskin Halachal Maisa as being the source why Amoni Vlo Amonis Moavi Vlo Moavis, because only men go out to war and women, uh, I'm sorry, only men go out uh, to greet people and not women. Because Kol Kvod Abbas Melachimus, that's a halacha k'naf kamina of Tznius, it's not just a, you know, a Musr Shmuz. Um, of course, another area that has to be evaluated with women's leadership positions is Mesorah in general. And of course, certain areas of halacha, like uh, there's Xerus HaKaz, that a woman can't be a dayan or a, uh, participate in a, be an aide or participate in a minion, that's not the raisa, but uh, there's nothing, there's no wiggle room. Halacha is halacha. So let's talk about, let's discuss Tzrara. The Pasuk in the Torah says, the Sifri comments on that, and we pass in, Melech Malka. That means that the highest position of uh, authority is not allowed to be held by a woman. The Rambam, however, had a different version of that Sifri. It says, 
v'chein kol mesimos shav Yisrael. So to all other positions of authority. Which brings us to the famous tshuva of Ramosha about mashkichot. Could a woman be a mashkicha? So Ramosha points out that Morov Rishonim do not hold like this chumrah of the Rambam of v'chein kol mesimos shav Yisrael. And therefore, most Rishonim would probably hold that only a Malka is off-limits, only the highest level of authority, but other positions of authority in Klal Yisrael, certainly like a Mashkech, wouldn't be considered a problem. However, um, we, if a Rambam says something, we're not going to ignore the Rambam. So yes, the Malka, we might be able to rely on the other Shittas, but under normal ideal situations, we of course would be Malkmer for the Rambam, and indeed, uh, of course, we are being Choshet for the Rambam, as we are always Malkmer for, we should, uh, under normal circumstances, not allow a woman to take uh, leadership positions, even as a mashkiach. Um, however, in a case that's a great shasatrach, like the specific shayla he was asked, where the woman was an almana, she didn't have a parnasa, and he said also, if she would work under the authority of a senior rav, who would be the official mashkiach, or the official rav master, then there might be room to be mekel, because mekel hadin, we pass in that srara is not... Uh, apply to Kol Mesim because we don't pass like that Rambam. Um, but we should try to. Speak to your local Orthodox Gadol. Um, Rav Salvechik added that aside from the Sugi of Strata, there's a separate a Sugi called Minui, which, uh, even if it's not necessarily Strata, Minui is an appointing to a position. With this, Rav Salvechik wanted to explain why all of a sudden, it, the Ramah points out that women, even though women previously in history are kosher for Ashkita, but Ramah says nowadays women shouldn't be shochter. Why not? So Rasavesh suggested that in olden days women just shechted in their backyards, but once it became an official position in a community, that would be a minui, and it would be included in the issue of, uh, in the general issue of even though it's not a authority position, but it's an appointed position. Once it's appointed, that makes it into like a um, and for example, a ger who we know is not allowed to have a position of strara can have a position of aminu. So even if we would say that a ger cannot be a shul present because it's strara, but a ger would be able to be a shochet because the aminu itself wouldn't be considered Surah. Mini would be okay for a ger, Surah not. But a woman, Rasulvation suggests, has not only the issue of Surah, but also holding a position. So you have this issue when it comes uh, to women on the, as a president, vice president. Uh, somebody asked me in my shul, could women be on my board? I asked Rav Shachter, he said, if it's one member of a board, uh, that would probably be okay. But again, each shul will have to be, uh, you know, discussed with another gadol on their own, depending on the situation. Yes. What is the difference between Minui and Srara? Srara is an authority uh, position. Mini is not necessarily this is an authoritative position, but it's an appointed position. It's something that we rely on this person. Why? So if you have the official uh, official person who does this, is the official person in the community who is responsible for this. It might not be an authority position. But since they're the appointed person in the community regarding this, like if I, I'm just giving a terrible example. You're the, I have a class and I say, you're my official, you, you, you tell me exactly what time class starts and class finishes. You, my fourth grade student, you tell me what time it's, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, what time I finish class at 10.30 in the morning. You're the official time timekeeper of the class. 
That's a minoy. It's not authority. What? Because salvation says the very fact that it's a minoy makes it have a din of sraga. But not for kid, even though correct. Correct. Yes, correct. That's right. We'll, 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 let's move on. Uh, so let's go now. What about women rabbis? So the you have to obviously deal with the question of sraga. Um, but even without the question of Israel, let's talk about a different point. The Rambam writes that smichel doros is not just, you know, it's not like it used to be of putting your hands on your head, on, 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 on Thomas' head. Rather, you have, you call him rabbi, says the Rambam, and he has rishus laudan dine knasos. Ah, so according to the Rambam, what does smicha mean? Smicha, by definition, means rishus laudan dine knasos. And we know that midaraisa, a woman, is psula laudan. So therefore, by definition, Smicha should be off-limits, since Dionysus is off-limits to a woman, theoretically, according to this reading of the Rambam, Smicha to a woman should also be equally off-limits. Um, that would be a very halachic reason why a woman shouldn't be able to be a Rab, Rav, Rabba, whatever, whatever funny name, you might want to give uh, that title, but that position should be off-limits because they're pursuing love and they didn't What about Women just passing in general, or you could call them yotzot, or in a position of being able to pass in. Uh, so, the Tosas points out that Tzvora taught, um, and furthermore, there's a Sefer Chinuch who says that the psul of Shtuya Yayin, not to drink wine before passing, applies to a woman, because a woman is Ksheru Lahora, it sounds like a woman could pass in. Um, so, according to Salvechik, even if there's no Srara, there might still be an appointed position of paskening, might be a soul of minoy. Um, according to the truth of Ramosh that we saw earlier, even if a woman would have some authority, she should still work under the supervision of the rock, so you don't have the other issue of srara. Um, but when you look at the sugya of Dvora, who uh, presumably paskened, Tosis points out that she might not have paskened herself, but she taught the men how to paskin. So in other words, she didn't, she might have, you know, been a maramakam and say, why don't you look at this, what about this, maybe you should think of it like this, but maybe she didn't do the psak herself, and accordingly, the application to a case of a, you know, in a community where a woman might be in that situation, if she is under the authority and the jurisdiction of the Rav Ha'ir, and she only teaches as opposed to Paskins, that might ameliorate the issue a little bit. Uh, bottom line, any shul that would be considered uh, this, this uh, you know, going with the Yoetzah should certainly, based on that shul's uh, population, the community that it serves, discuss that with an Adam Gadol, who is one of the, you know, somebody who is uh, responsible to the Mesorah, one of the Baali HaMesora, to see how that would fit in, their shul would fit in with Mesorah Kalal Yisrael. Especially important to keep in mind, and this applies also to women uh, getting aliyahs and women laning, uh, which is a different sugya, laning, uh, laning and laning Megillah, which is a different sugya, but the Bach writes that Kavod HaTzibur doesn't mean that a given Tzibur could say, if we define our Tzibur as women-friendly or women or egalitarian, it doesn't mean that our Tzibur is okay with this stuff. Uh, to the contrary, says the Bach, Kavod HaTzibur is not, fun, is not relative to each individual Tzibur, what we define as Kavod There are certain objective parameters of what defined, is defined as Kavod HaTzibur, and that is not waivable by a given community that might be okay with certain deviations from classical Masorah. Let's talk about uh, Kaddish, women saying Kaddish. So the Chavetz Yara suggests that there probably is a tikkun to the Neshama if a daughter would say Kaddish. Um, however, the Chavetz Yara says, but I don't think it's a good idea because it's going to weaken the Koach and Hagim, and this is something that's some of course, and it's proper not to do it. 
Rav Hengen argued and said that uh, if they are tahorim and snuim and they're wearing appropriate clothing, and he said, Efsher, Shank Feda, maybe it's okay, but not in the base Knesses and not Bilvush America. So, whatever you think Bilvush America means, means she's just Sneas, that she's not in the Shul Mamish. But Shatu says the opposite. Shatu says, no, it's only Mutter. You can't say Dharm Shabakdush if there are no 10 men. So, if she's in the women's section, how can she see a cat? She's no minion. So, you have to bring her into the men's section. Oh, if your Shul is going to allow women in the men's section, that's going to be, you know, even the people who are okay with women saying Kaddish, but they might not be okay with her doing it in the men's section. That's going to be open up a whole other bag of worms. So it's just another thing to consider. Um, I saw Rav Moshe, this was not mentioned in the Shia, but I saw Rav Moshe, the Tshuva, where he talks about when do you need a Mechitza if it's just like, a, if it's not a real shul, it's just like, uh, let's say, a class revel, and you happen to have ten guys there and two girls. You want to have Mar right after class. Do you need a mechitza? Do you not need a mechitza? Uh, so Ramos, in that tshuva, happens to say, and we know that the minhag of Klal Yisrael has always been that women would say Kaddish, and then he says, there's a lot to write about that, but that's not what I'm talking about. But he does say that there is a minhag in class that women do say Kaddish, um, but he doesn't say it's that good or bad, he just says, I have what to say about it. But he just points out that women do come into shuls to collect staka and to say Kaddish. So... Uh, again, he's not saying that that's right. He's just saying that they are, that, that has been done. Um, others argue and say that uh, Ravana Savage says, if Medina, Medina, Medina is mutter, so you shouldn't stop them, because if you say it's mutter, Medina, and you stop them from saying Kaddish, you're, you're feeding the argument that's saying that we're oppressive. It's mutter, and you're still saying not to. But others say, no, there's a slippery slope. Once you allow this, it's going to allow that, which is certainly a concern. And again, each, uh, if you have it, Halacha Mice and Shuls, under certain circumstances, this comes up most often uh, actually at, at, uh, at burials. When you have a burial of certain communities where there's a daughter, uh, certainly if it's an only daughter, or if it's a daughter with her brothers, sometimes as the, as the sons will say Kaddish, the daughter will want to join along. So figure out when you become a Rav and these shadows will come up, you'll ask your local Orthodox Gadol how, uh, how you should operate. Let's finish off this year with a Bas Mitzvah question. So Moshe says, we're already unhappy with how the bar mitzvahs are going. Why should we start, you know, having gala bat mitzvahs? Uh, but the Sri age says, to the contrary, if you, have a, if you want to be mechanic and inspire a woman to be more committed in her, in her achrais and achiv and mitzvahs, so you can't do it in the shul, but you could have, and it's not going to be a break in the sorrow, it's near, so even though you can't do it in the shul, but it's okay to have such thing in a social hall. Uh, Svartim, on the other hand, Ravadi says, to, to the contrary, the Ben Ishchai did, uh, make a bas mitzvah as long as it's roy lomash zirus with the shachos on on uh, on her reaching an al mitzvos. Rabbi Willick has a very lamdisha chiluk that he likes to say when he talks about a bas mitzvah. He says that there are two dinim in a bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah one is that the father finished teaching his son Torah, and all the second aspect of a bar mitzvah is that the child, the son, has reached all mitzvahs. So Willick is mechalik. That when it comes to a bas mitzvah, so the father never had the real fear of teaching her, his daughter Talmud Torah. So the father has no reason to celebrate. So the father shouldn't be inviting his friends. But the girl, on her, on her uh, level, did reach all mitzvah, so she can invite her friends. So if you ask Rabbi Willick, you have to make a bas mitzvah, he tells you this very original and very unusual distinction that the parents can't invite their friends, but the daughter can invite her friends, based on the slumbers that we just put forth. Sorry? Of course there's no chiv of Tamil Torah and daughters. It's a pasuk and a five. Of course, one condition. Women are not mafiyavas in Tamil Torah. 
I'm not saying you're allowed to let your daughter, of course you have to teach your daughter, but the woman is not high of in Talmud Torah. Is there a chiv of chinach? That's a different question. But Talmud Torah, certainly not. And the post of discussed, it's Machlokas Rishonim, that maybe even the midst of chinach, all the halachas of not telling a child to be Mechal Shabbos because he gave chinach, does that apply to girls, only to boys? That's a Machlokas Rishonim. But certainly Talmud Torah, women are not Mechiavas in Talmud Torah. Okay, let's talk about Rabbi Sabalevsky's uh, shir about caring for children on Shabbos. So let's start with nursing. A uh, pumping, a uh, woman who uses a, uh, an automatic pump or a hand pump would be an isa daraisa of disha. Just like milking a cow is disha. Um, the problem is that if you, you could help the baby by giving the baby formula, so the baby is happy, the baby is fed, but the mother could be in a lot of pain because uh, she has a lot of milk and let's say the baby isn't uh, relieved, uh, um, uh, consuming all that milk, so she's left with a lot of milk that could be very painful to a woman. So how can we alleviate her pain if we don't have the option of pumping the excess milk out? So the suggestion would be to knock down this disha de araisa to be only an isu How can we do that? Because once it's de we could say that it's uh, so the answer would be by being by letting the milk go to so here we have machlokas why would that be better so one possibility would be because that would make it because you're not using the milk you're just being dashed to get rid of the milk and uh, that would be one reason another uh, suggests that since it's not litzorah by disha specifically if it's something is not litzorah it's not considered a malacha at all Disha is different than other things. It's not just uh, which is knocked down to the bottom, but it's not called a malacha if it's, for, by Disha if it's not being used. Nafkamina, that Chazrish points out, is that when do you have to get rid of it? Could you put it into a, uh, could the pump go into the regular jar that collects it and then pour it into, down the drain? Or as it's coming out, mamish, you have to make it go, like you have to let it go straight from the pumper into not a jar, but straight down the drain? Or there has to be uh, detergent on the bottom of the pumper jar, so that as it's pumped, it's going directly into detergent. If you assume that it's a malachashin and that you're not going to use it, so I don't, it doesn't have to get be gotten rid of right away. You're not going to use it, so it's uh, only it's it's knocked out from being a derisive. If you hold that it's not a malacha at all because it's not. But if you hold it's not a malacha at all, it's only going to be not a malacha if it goes immediately le'ibud. So if a woman is in a lot of pain, uh, we would say that you could pump using an electric pump on a Shabbos clock, or a guy could turn on the pump if it's an electric pump. If there's no guy, there's no clock. At the last resort, maybe you'd be able to uh, use a kala'achar yad to turn the pump on with your elbow or something. Electric pump on with your elbow. Um, that would only be in a sidrabonon. Um, as long as the liquid, the, the milk will not be saved, and you should try to let the uh, milk be lost immediately by putting some detergent on the bottom of the jar of the pump. Let's talk about making baby cereal, or oatmeal, rice cereal. So the, here the problem would be one of Lisha. So how could we, Lisha is making, taking flour and liquid, putting it together to make a, a batter of sorts. So how could we make it mutter? So we have machlokas tanoim, and rishonim, and in the Shulchan Aruch, what is the moment of Isser that constitutes Lisha? Is it the Nesina Samayim? Or is the Shas Gibel, the mixing, the kneading with a K, is that the Shas Isser? So if we are able to make a Shinui in whichever one is the right one, oh, that could be a solution. So I'll make a Shinui in Nesina Samayim, 
I'll put it do it in the wrong order. I'll put in the water first, then I'll put in the the the, the uh, mix, and I'll also mix it in a funny you know funny way. So I made a uh, shinui. Both of the possibilities. Okay, but if you do a shinui, then that just should knock it down to be the rabbanon. It happens to be for some reason when it comes to lisha, a shinui kvachayad in lisha becomes mutter entirely. So we're going to do the shinuyim in the, sh- the way we. Uh, the direction in which, the, the, the order in which we put in the water and the mix. And I'll do a shinui my gibel, I'll do a shesi of erev, instead of mixing around, I'll do chris and an x, like a t or an x. And also I'll do my finger instead of a spoon, and also I'll maybe lift out my finger each time. I'll do all kinds of shinuyim. But that's only, uh, but some posts can say that this is, this kula of using the shinui is not by lisha de rice, but only by lisha de rabbanan. So therefore, I have to knock down this oatmeal to be from Lisha de Raisa to the Lisha de Rabbanah. How can I do that? By turning the, the mixture into a Belila Raka, into a loose, watery, diluted batter, more like a pancake batter as opposed to a challah dough. And then it would only be such, such, a, such a mixture, making such a mixture only be Nisad Rabbanah. And you can be making it if you make these Shinuyim in both the Nisina Samayim as well as the Kipo. But again, this Kula is only to provide food for a baby who needs it, and that's something that you could do to make yourself oatmeal on Shabbos afternoon. Let's talk about another point for children, food for children. That is uh, tochein, cutting small, uh, cutting vegetables or chicken small for the baby. So number one, tochein, the isra tochein, only applies to tvarsha gidulam and akakas, where for chicken, eggs, is not subject to tochein. You can mash it, chop it, however you like. However, anything that is gidulam and like vegetables, uh, are going to be subject to tofet, and therefore you can't cut them too small. How small is small? Says the Urayim, says Rebbe Lazarim, Mitz, quoted by the Shavu, we don't know how small is small. So what are we going to do? So there is a sheet of the Rashba who has a very wonderful kula. The Rashba suggests that just like when it comes to borer, there's a heter called miyad, immediately before the Saudi you could do borer, so too says the Rashba that heter of miyad will apply to Tochen as well. And therefore, if you do it immediately before the suda, whatever amount of time you need for getting ready for the suda, it could be for 20 minutes, it could be for two hours, depending on how many people you have, how fancy you are, how much uh, you know, effort you like in uh, making your suda. It depends on you. Uh, if you have a caterer, preparation for a suda could be three or four hours before a suda. In that time period, says Rashba, that's going to be miad, and it will be mutter to cut it small. Now, we are more machmir. We say we're not sure if we could be making like this Rashba. And we say we're also going to be make certain that they're not too small. So if you have a combination of pieces that are not cut too small, you don't have a good definition of that, and also it's done within the immediate proximity of the meal, that would be okay. But if you want to, for example, cut up a salad, and then your wife wants to go to shul, she'll cut up the salad, go to shul for musaf, and then come home and eat, that's not okay, because that's not considered miyad. She wants to shul in the middle. So that would not be okay. Let's talk about the next aspect of tochen, and that would be shmushed bananas or shmushed avocado. So, says the Chazanish, this is an Isidaraisa of Tochein, and it's even worse than regular chopping vegetables, and it's considered, and therefore, because it's a more of a shmushing, these bananas are it's such a shmushing, more than just dicing, it's going to be usher, even summer, even, you won't even have the cool of the Rashba of Samach Saudah of La'alt, you won't even have that, because it's super Tochein. Comes from Moshe and Faisen and says, I don't understand. Not only should this not be super Tochein, this should not be Tochein whatsoever. What is tochen? Tochen is taking a wheat kernel and chopping it into particles. What happens when you take a banana and you mush it? You're not making it into particles. Avocado mush. 
it's not going into particles, it's not token at all. However, says Ramosha, so according to me, says Ramosha, you could shmush bananas l'chatchil and avakaz l'chatchil. Oh, but the Chazanir said, said, don't do it. However, the Chazanir said that if you do it to achayat, with the back of a spoon, with the handle of a knife, then it would be mutter. So even though I don't understand, says Ramosha, why that should be, why that heta should make a mutter l'chatchil, should just knock it down to be derabanan. But since the Chazanish said, you're allowed to do it, and I don't hold that the Chazanish is a problem at all, but to be, well, you, I'll, I'll allow you at least to take the cool of the Chazanish, and therefore Moshe is, uh, is, would allow if we would shmush our banana or our avocado with the uh, back of a, uh, the handle of a knife, the handle of a spoon. Next, Nakuda, let's talk about diaper changing. As far as baby wipes, there are two issues. There's baby wipes and there's uh, the diaper. Baby wipes is machlokas if uh, in our yeshiva, Shetan Willig, if you're allowed to, uh, uh, if using a baby wipes is considered squeezing the liquid out, or is considered there's just liquid on the outside of it that you're just letting the liquid apply, you know, you're not squeezing anything out. Um, so could you use baby wipes? That's a question. Uh, as far as diapers, there are two issues, and that's Korea and its sister halacha of Tofer. When you open up the tabs, the adhesive tabs, so the Ram had told, it teaches us that when it comes to Tofer, just like there's tofer, classic tofer, also the medabic niaros is tofer, and the mafrid niaros is korea. So if you have Velcro, Velcro is just hook and eyes. They're not really adhere, adhesions. So that's okay. But if you have the brands that are actually uh, sticky, so that could be a question. Are you, when you open up the tab, you're being korea. When you put the baby together, that's tofer. When you, if you have a really dirty diaper and you want to throw it out, oftentimes you close it up so it doesn't drip all over the place, <laughs> That's going to be tofer, and that's going to be more of a problem because that's going to be tofer in a way that's going to be kayim because it's going to stay like that in the garbage forevermore. So here, the question would be: Could we say that maybe kosher tofer, just like we say that kosher shel ena shel kayim is more kal? So could we say the same thing applies by the malach of tofer that if it's ena shel kayim? So if I put the tabs on the baby's body, I'm tofer the tabs together, but it's just for the next four, five, six hours as long as the baby will be wearing this diaper. So, uh, the Ramah leaves it as a question. He's uh, a little bit, you know, not thrilled with that. But when we throw it out, it really could be a question of Tofer Shel Kayama. Some say that, no, once you're throwing it out, you don't really care about it. So how can you call that Tofer Shel Kayama if it's not that you don't really care about it at all? So that's a svara you could take or leave. So, Halakha Lamaisa, oh, and what about when you open up the tabs? Some say when you open up the tabs, that might not be considered Korea because it was made to be opened, even though... Uh, you are opening it for the first time. So therefore, certainly what you should do, halacha l'maysa, so if you want to, oh, if you get Velcro, perfect, no worries. If you have the adhesion, the adhering ones, and you want to open them before Shabbos, you're wonderfully from, and we will respect you for that. Uh, but certainly what everyone should be careful with is when you do throw a diaper away, you should definitely not put the tabs on to close the diaper uh, when you throw it away, because that would be uh, permanent, and there's no reason to make it on that. Finally, let's talk about two points, two more points here. As far as ointments for diaper rash, so there's a, you're not allowed to smooth memachek, memarech, to smooth creams on. The problem is babies have sometimes raw bottoms, and there might be a heter to just plop some cream on the baby's bottom, and as you put the diaper on and they wiggle around, it will end up getting where it has to go, but not smoothing it on. So why should that be okay? So Shemir Shavu says, because Kalachar and since babies are like a cholo, we allow kilachayat. Rabbi uh, Ribiyat says, no, it's not considered memreach at all. That's one nekuda to keep in mind for diaper rashes. 
uh, but we don't allow applying skin things for regular people. If you have a skin condition, I get this shot once in a while, adults who have skin conditions, could they smooth things on their hands under normal circumstances? No. Uh, if they have something on their hands, what I sometimes tell them is put it, get a latex glove, put the cream into the latex glove, and put your hand into the glove, and as you wear a glove, it will end up uh, getting where it has to go. Um, you can do the same thing with a sock. If there's a, f- if a problem with the toes or the feet, you can do the same thing. Put some stuff inside a sock or a plastic sock. If you find a plastic sock, um, and it will get it where it has to go without you rubbing it on. Um, as far as walking, where there's no Eruv, and the baby doesn't want to walk home, so first of all, you shouldn't have taken him to Shul in the first place if he's not mature enough to be, you know, walk, walk home consistently. Of course, ideally, if he's not going to walk home from Shul, so bribe him, promise him the world. When you get home, we're going to give you so many lollipops, you won't know what to do with it. Um, if, you don't, if that doesn't work, so get a guy, because it's a caramelist, so it's an amir la'akum, it's a shush to shush, but makam choli, because it's amir it's amir la'akum, and it's a caramelist, and it's makam, the baby's crying, it's like a chola. Uh, but that's not good to do either. Uh, what you could do, if that option is not available, then you could do pachos pachos midalaramis. Again, we're not talking about... Uh, Again, you should avoid it, but you could do pachas pachas dalamas. And finally, the worst uh, option would be shnei shasua. You and your wife, or you and somebody else, could carry the baby together, if you are in such a a, uh, a a difficult situation. Obviously, if the baby's in the middle of the street and their car's coming, so you all know what to do. Um, if a a so it's very important to realize that by all cholim sheimbo sakana amir. Let's talk about some medical issues. If there any chola she'en sakana, there's a she'en sakana, amir la'akam is mutul However, every baby who is uncomfortable is automatically defined as a chola she'en sakana, and for that baby, amir la'akri will be permitted. What about other drabanans for a baby who's sick? So, for example, a nebulizer. So, could you use kila'achar yad to turn on an isadrabanan, to turn on an electrical appliance, which let's assume might only be an isadrabanan, according to many poskim? So... Here there's a machlokas if we allow the heter of kila'achayad only on things that are fundamentally yisudrabanans or even on things that are midoraisa if it's shasatchat could you do it kila'achayad halakhalamaisa if you have no other choice you have to turn on a nebulizer you, should, you could do it assuming that it's drabanan and you do it kila'achayad turn on with your elbow if there's no other way to turn on and the baby is very very uncomfortable um, it would be but of course it's a chol sheyesh but sakana do whatever you got to do um, as far as the halachas of asking a child to do malacha that we're not going to have time to cover um, only if he has a rash only if it's only if he has a rash I'm going to do I'm going to go a few more minutes if you don't want to stay, you don't have to. Let's do a very important shiur of Dina of Rav Shechter. And the rest of the shiur, maybe we'll have to, uh, I'll give you another Chazar shiur later in the week, and I'll send it to you. Uh, I'll send you a link to the audio for the rest of the shiur, unless you want to stay for the longer. But let's do right now Dina de Machusadina with Rav Shechter. I want to specifically do this because uh, there are a lot of different pieces here. I want to just uh, put it together for you. What's the source for Dina de Machus Adina? So we have a Machlokis in Sanhedrin, Rav and Shmuel, whether Kol Ha'amr B'Parshas Melech is it Melech Mutrbo, it's Taka Mutr, or it's just La'ayim Aleihem, 
to scare people, to disincentivize the fact that they should be asking for a melech. So we talk a paskin that it's melech motorbo. The melech has the right to do certain things, including uh, whatever he wants, I guess, and pay taxes. And uh, that is true, you know, as we learned from Shmuel Hanavi, where the question, where, 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 where Shmuel Hanavi <coughs> criticized B'nai Israel and said, the Malch will do all these things, that was in Eretz Israel. So you see clearly that the government has the right, even in Eretz Israel, to levy taxes, among other things. The Ran in Adarim, people like to quote, says that there's no taxes in Eretz Israel because the right of a government to charge taxes is to charge rent for their land. But since we all own land in Eretz Israel, we're all by them in Eretz Israel. Uh, the government can charge us rent. However, Rabbi points out that this run doesn't even make its way as a yesh omrim in the Shulchan Aruch or the Ramah. Um, the Ramah says specifically, explicitly, that not paying tax would be considered gozel menas hamel, because the king does have the right. Uh, some suggest that maybe uh, tax, the Mishnah Melech says that maybe taxes is like a milva. You owe it to the king. And we know that hafkas milva v'gai is mutter. So maybe according to that logic, one might not have to pay the taxes, uh, but we don't pass, like says, we don't pass like that Mishnah Lamelech, and therefore uh, that, lean, that way out of taxes would not be available. Um, it used to be that if you didn't want to pay taxes, you could at least die. If you're dead, you don't have to pay taxes. But even there, it doesn't work anymore. There's still estate taxes, so there's really no way out of taxes. Um, what are they? What, so, according to Rishakta, Rishakta understands that the chiyuv uh, to pay taxes is not actually because of the rights of the king to charge taxes, which is true. But our taxes suggest Rishakta when we live in democracies that are welfare states, the taxes are really our way of participating in the shared needs of our community. In Hebrew, that's called Hilchos Shutfin. If we are part of a Shutfus, and the majority of the people in the Shutfus say, we want to, you know, plant a tree, we want to build a pool in this shutfus, so all the partners of the shutfus, even if the partners are not happy about it, have to participate. And therefore, if we elected our officials and they make the, uh, the rule, we will have to follow the rule of the shutfus, and the majority of the shutfus say that they want to have public schools. So even though you and I want to send our kids to Jewish day schools and pay private tuitions, we still will have to follow and be swept along with the rope of the shutfus, the federal government shutfus, the state government shutfus, the city government shutfus. We are a part simultaneously of multiple shutfuses, Shut for Yos, and I will have to pay my federal, my local, federal, and state taxes because I am a shutaf. If I don't, then I'm not stealing from, a, from this amorphous thing called government. I'm stealing from every other shutaf in my neighborhood who uh, I am not paying my share of that which I should be paying in the shutafs. So, if therefore, Quintus Shechter, if you, a person doesn't pay their taxes at the right rate, then they're not just they're not seen from this amorphous thing called government. It's not even gzela from Goyim. It's gzela from every other shutaf among them, and you're a Jew, so it would be gzela from other Jews as well. That's how Rosh sees tax evasion. Um, let's move on to the next point. And see, when we apply the... What are the parameters of Diva Dima So number one, Diva Dima is typically assumed in financial, is typically the rule of thumb, when you have financial dealings with you and another guy. If it's dealings between you and another Jew, then we apply Choshu Mishpat, not Dina Dabachus Adina. But if it's you and another guy, you and a guy, then we will apply Dina Dabachus Adina. Um, where is Dina Dabachus Adina important? We find that it's important and also defines money, meaning there are certain Nafkaminas Midoraisa, or Nafkaminas in general, that we have to have something some defined as money. For example, Pidyon Maiser Shani, you have to use a coin of a government that is real money. 
in Hilchas Ribis. There's Pera, there's Tiv. In order to be defined as Tiva in Hilchas Ribis, there has to be you know, the Machus Adina to define it as money. As far as. Okay, that's as far as the importance of defining money. Now, when it comes to Yerusha, there, it's important to remember that we will not follow the Machus Adina. And that's for a number of reasons. First of all, because the Rambam, first of all, because Yerusha is by definition between two Jews. So we don't follow the Machus Adina between two Jews. Number two, the Rambam has this mystery pasuk, this drasha that he made up, presumably, we don't know where it came from, that says, by Yerusha, it says, Chok Mishpat, that doesn't just have a din of a Mishpat, it also has a din of a Chok, it's like, you know, I'll call it, you know, Yeridea, not just Mamanis, and therefore we don't follow, if, you know, Dino Demachlis and is that you have to work on Saturday, it doesn't mean a Jew is allowed to work on Saturday. Dino Demachlis and is limited only to Chosh Mishpat, to financial issues, and Yerusha has a, an Isser component, an Isser dimension as well, and not just Mamanis, therefore, we will not apply Dina Dabachasadina to Yerusha. So it's important to write a halachic will. Next. Rabbi Hekin says that there are certain situations where, um, that, let's talk about a few cases where we will apply Dina Dabachasadina between Jews. So Rabbi Hekin says, number one, Rabbi Hekin says that if it's, there's a Dina Dabachasadina of Latikon Hamedina, where the point of this law is to take care of people, and the government has to take care of Jews and non-Jews alike. So, for example, rent control, minimum wage, bankruptcy, those are established dina demachuzadinas that are latikan hamadina, and that would apply even between two Jews. Another case where we'll apply the, uh, the dina demachuzadina between two Jews is pointed out by the Shach. The Shach says that even if both parties are Jewish, Jewish, if the halacha is silent about a given scenario, if halacha is silent, then there's no Torah to ask, there's no Chosh to follow, so you'll follow Dina Demachus Adina. That will be the arbiter in the absence of any psak of Torah. Chazir says there's no such thing as a halacha, as, as a halacha question that doesn't have a psak of the, of the Torah, of the Shulchan um, And then Roshet is, I think, like that Chazir's point. Um, Another scenario situation that the Shach suggests where we will apply Dina Demachos Adina even between two Jews is let's say, for example, you have a seller and you have a buyer, but the seller has many clients, many customers. You have B&H. You go to B&H and he's going to say, okay, you're a yid, I'm going to give you the warranty or the, you know, the dinim of Nakachtos, that's Api Choshemishpat. Everybody else who's going to come into my store, he's going to have a 30-day, you know, uh, 30-day warranty, you know, like that's my public warranty policy. So that's not going to work, because then every person who's going to walk into the store, he's going to say, oh, are you Jewish or not Jewish? Are you Jewish or not Jewish? And that's not going to work. So clearly the umdana of walking into B&H is that any, he's going to treat everybody with the same blanket rules of whatever the Yenadam HaChazadina is, because there's an umdana, that's the so there's an umdana that if you didn't stipulate what the Halachas will be, we're going to follow the umdana of the Menachem Medina, and it's going to be Ke'ilu your master. Because if the Jew, if Mr. B&H and I are master, what our return policy should be when I buy from him, so we'll follow that tonight. But if in the absence of a tonight, so, uh, for example, where he has so many different clients, Jewish and non-Jewish, it's clear the Undana will be that it will be Ke'ilu Hisna, that uh, we should follow whatever the Minag HaMakam is, or the Dina Demachusa Dina. Now let's talk about the second half of that year, and that is... Sorry? But you never made it tonight. Who made? It's a policy, oh, so that's what the that's the chiddush that we're saying that by the fact that you walked in and that if he only had Jews, 
then he might not, then not, they don't, might only apply if you made the tonight. But since it's understood that it's not reasonable for him to say, you're Jewish, you're going to have this policy, you're, Jewish, you're, gonna, you're not Jewish, you're not going to have that policy, since that's not reasonable, we'll assume that by walking into the store, you're accepting upon yourself and then you'll be bound by that store policy, whatever the umdana, or whatever, the, whatever their store policy would be. Let's talk about Mestira. So, the Gemara Sanhedrin says, Makin, Bezdin, Makin, V'onshin, Shlom, and Hadin, and it's important to realize, just like Bezdin can be Makin, V'onshin, Shlom, and Hadin, so too, the Ran points out that a non-Jewish government can also be Makin, V'onshin, Shlom, and Hadin. That means if a government wants to say that we don't like, we think that stealing is so bad, we want to kill everybody who steals, the government has every right to do that, and to enforce that. Not only that, but the Gemara Bab Metziah, uh, Gimel points out a story that Rav Shumba Yochai's, I'm sorry, Rav Laza, the son of Rav Shumba Yochai, was hired by the Roman government to find Jewish criminals and to give the death penalty to robbers. And Eliel Hanavi comes and meets with him and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm getting rid of the thorns, the bad Jews, among the good Jews. And Eliel Hanavi says, it's not such a great thing, let Hashem take care of that, you shouldn't. But he didn't say it's Aser. It seems from that Kamara, as the Rishonim point out, that it is permitted to turn over Jews to a Roman government, even if it means that the Roman government is going to give a death penalty for theft. Even that is mutter. So that's not Mesira. What is Mesira? Oh. So let's get a little bit of an understanding. If Mesira, the Isra of Mesira, when you're not allowed to turn somebody over, is if the person didn't do anything wrong. If the person didn't violate a halacha, stealing from anybody is wrong, is asr. So if a person steals, you're allowed to turn them over to the authorities, and the authorities will do whatever the authorities think you should do, whatever the law is for this punishment, even if it's more than what Torah says. However, if a person didn't do anything that halacha sees as wrong, if you violate some environmental law, you produce too much pollution. So there's no halacha against... It's, we, we, love the, we love the environment. But there's no halacha specifically outlawing, assuring, creating pollution. So you can't... You, the person didn't violate an isser of any level. You have no right to be most of that person um, to the government because the person didn't violate anything. If the person violated anything that would be us according to halacha, then you could turn them over to the secular government, even if the secular government's punishment is vastly greater than Torah's punishment. And another limitation, meaning when is it also us to do mistira? When is mistira what we call mistira? That is the mistira asura. So again, number case number one would be if the person did something that's not a violation of any Easter. Number two is, let's say, the person would get punished even more than the law states that they should get. So let's say the punishment is you go to jail for five years. But it happens to be that there are certain jails, you don't just go to jail for five years, they also beat up Jews in that jail. They beat up people who do, I don't know, tax evasion in that jail. So if you would turn in somebody that's tax evasion, not only are you subjecting them to five years of, five years of uh, jail, that's okay, that's the rule, the rule of the land, but they also can get beat up, that is not what the rule of the land is. The rule of the land is not that they should get beaten up. That would be Mesira Ha'asura. That would be where it would be Taka Asur. Um, however, if there would be... So now let's talk about when there really is an Isra of, of Mesira. For example, if they didn't do anything that is Asur, it's just illegal but not Asur, or they didn't do any... or they would get punished more than they really rightfully should. Nevertheless, even there, the Gra explained, the Gra and the Shulchan Aruch, and Hachaz Eilis seems to say that if it would be a Chil Hashem, that a Jew wouldn't testify, the Jew, the, the, the Jew is subpoenaed by the judge, and he refuses to testify, and the judge knows that the only reason why he's not testifying is because it's, he's a Jew, and because a Jewish, that's why that would be Chil Hashem, then just like by Aveda, uh, just like uh, returning Avedas Akum, 
in Bamakam Chil Hashem, we would return Avedis Akam, so too, Mesira would be Mutter, Bamakam Chil Hashem. If there'd be a Chil Hashem and that you don't testify, then there'd be no Isra of Mesira. The Shulchan Aruch also allows Mesira in two more cases, meaning even if it's Mesira HaAsura, like they would go to jail and get beaten up, which even the law doesn't say that they should get beaten up. If somebody's Mesira as Harabim, a pedophile, a con artist, somebody who's an abuser, so there, even if he'll get beaten up, let's say they beat up pedophiles in, in, in prison. So a pedophile deserves five years, ten years in prison. But he's going to get beaten up? I don't care. If he's a pedophile, he's made Sarah Saram, he causes, he pains other people. So then, even if you will end up getting, getting beaten up in prison, it will still be permitted to do this Messiah, which typically would be Oster, because he's getting more than the law ought to require. And secondly, if somebody's Maka as Havero, which as Rebbe Shatter pointed out, um, if a teacher would notice, or rather would notice, that a, that a family member, a child, a wife, is bruised, or something like that, that would also be, uh, that the, 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 the hitter would be Makas, uh, would be, would be Makas Tavero, that would also be warrant, Mesira Ha'asura, meaning even to be sent to a prison, where they'd get more than just a prison sentence, but even get beaten up in prison, that would also be permitted if he's Makas Tavero. Okay. What? Beside Makas Chavero is itself Aser, and since it's also Makas Chavero, it deserves to even do a Messiah that would typically be Aser. Okay, do you want to stop here, or it's a long time? Go, you want to do another shear now? Who wants another shear right now? Okay, so let's stop now, and Bez Hashem, I'll follow up with you on the second half.